Welcome to The Rework with Allison Tyler-Jones, a podcast dedicated to inspiring portrait photographers to uniquely brand, profitably price, and confidently sell their best work. Allison has been doing just that for the last 15 years, and she's proven that it's possible to create unforgettable art and run a portrait business that supports your family and your dreams. All it takes is a little rework. Episodes will include interviews with experts from in and outside of the photo industry, mini workshops, and behind-the-scenes secrets that Allison uses in her portrait studio every single day. She will challenge your thinking and inspire your confidence to create a profitable, sustainable portrait business you love through continually refining and reworking your business. Let's do the rework. Hi, friends, and welcome back to The Rework. Today's episode is with one of my very favorite guests, Kim Wiley of Kim Wiley Photography. And we are going to be talking about all things money, from taking photography as a commodity and crossing the bridge into making it more special and building more of a luxury brand. But all of that starts with what is between our ears how we value ourselves, how we build trust with our clients, and how we make the mind shift into that, is it worth it? Is it really, really worth it? And how we send that message to ourselves and then ultimately to our clients. So can't wait for you to hear it. Let's do it. Welcome, Kim Wiley. I'm so glad that you're here on the podcast with me today. Me too. I had fun last time, so I can't wait to see where we go today. (laughs) I know. It's like, this is like the only time that I get to catch up with you. So I think our listeners are going to have to hear a little bit of catch up and a lot of like good brainstorming. But uh, as we were texting back and forth and thinking about, you know, what we wanted to talk about today, I think one of the things that we, you and I have both had to work with in our own business journey, but that we also see a lot in other photographers is that idea of what are our hangups around money, uh, your mindset about money? Because it affects so many things, doesn't it? It affects everything. It affects how you price. It affects how you talk about money. It affects how you sell, all of that. So thoughts, feelings, emotions. What are your <laughs> thoughts about money today, Kim Wiley? Money. Gosh, it's interesting because I think a lot about money these days, and this is not necessarily totally related, but cryptocurrency has my Heart, my bug. It's my new bug. Yeah. Money is a very interesting topic because it brings in so many things, emotions, relationships, past feelings, you know, whether you grew up with an abundance or a scarcity of it can really impact, I believe, the way you view money and the way you view money can really impact choices you make. And so I think there's a lot there that can be kind of analyzed. And if you have the ability to look into your heart and figure out how you look at money, you can change the way you make decisions and possibly your future. And I know that sounds really like... No, but it's true. (laughs) Because one of my earlier jobs when I was a newly married 20-year-old, should have been illegal, but whatever. Um, I was a teller at a bank and then I kind of rose up through the ranks in the retail banking world. And one of the first things that I realized is that money actually isn't real. Right. It's It's not. (laughs) What's that? It's a piece of paper. Yeah. If that, 
And now it's not even that. It, now it's really just like a mutually agreed upon set of values. Yeah. It's just like we, you and I agree that this means that this is worth something, but there have been plenty of times in history where people have decided to disagree about that and bad things have happened. Oh my gosh. And it's really, I don't know why. It, I mean, I do know why. I mean, my original background was in finance and all things money and investment banking and all that. So I think that the new world of money and cryptocurrency and all the things that are going on have caught my attention because it a nod to what I was interested in before I ever picked up a camera, which was a whole other bug. <laughs> right. But you're right. Like if you really look at the definition of money, it's a agreed upon value. There's trust and value that has to be put towards something to make it worth something. And way back in the day, you know, I would have a goat and you would have 20 pounds of sugar and we would say, okay, we mutually agree that these two things are about the same value. Mm -hmm. And I trust that your goat is real because I can see it. I can trust your sugar because I can taste it. And then all of a sudden you start transacting with people you don't know who aren't your neighbors or, you know, your local merchants. And they had to come up with something that could be one easier to transport, but two, not so specific like goats and sugar. So that's where money came in because it could be divided into smaller segments and things could be exchanged. Anyway, I find it super fascinating and the United States of America, as we all know, is kind of the leader of the global financial world. And we used to have gold in a vault that would back up our paper money. And in the 70s, they took that away. And ever since then, Richard Nixon printing. Yeah, Richard Nixon took it away in the 70s. And ever since then, because there's not that tether holding kind of an anchor it's become very, very prolific to print it. And just, we need something with print more money. Mm -hmm. And what a lot of people don't realize is that that takes, it's the supply demand thing. It takes the dollar we each have and makes it less valuable. So how does this come to photography? Well, (laughs) I think that a lot of people get so hung up in the value part of things that there's always stereotypes, I feel like, because there's some truth behind them. It doesn't mean it's true for everybody, but there's enough truth that a stereotype is created. And the starving artist, <laughs> there's definitely some truth to that. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it has to do with artists' views of money and also of themselves. And those two things combined can equal a recipe for disaster for people if they're trying to really support themselves. I think that in the photography world, if I could go out on a limb, I think one of the main problems is that when digital came along, a lot of people became photographers who maybe didn't have to put the bread on the table or just did it as a hobby. It it made the barrier to entry so low that anyone could kind of put up a sign and become a professional photographer. Not that there's anything wrong with that because I was one of those people. I did Mm -hmm. not have formal art training and I stuck a sign up and became a professional photographer. And in our last episode, we talked a lot about that imposter syndrome that came along with that, that I had to work through. But when you do that, I think that what happened is enough people put that sign up that photography almost started to become a little bit of a commodity. Mm -hmm. 
And for those who don't know what that exactly means in terms of photography, the way I would say it is that if you look at a commodity, let's say a bag of rice, the thing that makes a commodity a commodity is that it's fungible, with meaning that it could be replaced easily with a different bag of rice and nobody would care because they're the exact same thing. Right. Non-fungible means it's completely different and it's very unique in its characteristics to make it more valuable because it's a singular thing. And with shoot and burn, not that, you know, that's the worst thing that you could do, but I think it creates a barrier for each shoot and burn person to overcome because it's harder to become unique without offering a set of physical products and without offering the handholding and all right. customer service aspects. Well, and my thought on that is that, you know, another definition, you know, another way to define a commodity is also a term of that is raw materials. Commodities tend to be raw materials. They're, they're materials that you make generally that you make something else with. So corn, you don't generally just eat that raw corn. It's used to make high fructose corn syrup or ethanol, or there's all different things that you're Molly. making with what? <laughs> Tamales. <laughs> oh, well, uh, all Mexican food. Yeah. Have, right. Tortilla chips, all of our favorite things. Oh. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think that when, to me, that's what the shoot and burn model is. The way that it is practiced right now for the most part is that you are creating, in my opinion, disposable imagery. It's just some client might have an, a view of, oh, Kim Wiley's style is different than Allison Tyler Jones. So I'm going to go to Kim Wiley because I want it to look this certain way. But in the end, if you and I were shooting burning, they would tell the difference between our style. But as far as the experience and as far as what they're actually ending up with, it's no different. It's just X number of files for X number of dollars. And so that's so easily comparable between those two things that, well, Kim's going to give me all of the images from the session, which is about, 300 for $300. And Allison wants $1,000 for 10 images. I'm going to go to Kim. Right. And that's exactly the thing is that when you price yourself and offer a set of services that are so limited and a lower price, you naturally become in a way a commodity. And it's, it's very, there's no loyalty, not no loyalty because your personality can come in. Obviously they can Experience, they might come back, but if you quit and if they found another person tomorrow, as long as they were enjoyable, they'd not probably miss it greatly. And so that lack of touch points creates more space for people to just not be loyal customers and to just kind of go to the cheaper or more convenient or whatever they're looking for in that moment. Well, and, I, and I think, again, we're talking about a portrait photography business here. We're not talking about commercial work. We're not talking about weddings, but portrait photography, there's really only so much people are going to pay for an unfinished product. So to me, a set of digital files is that bag of corn, you know, and it might be, you might have edited all that corn. You might've gone through the corn and picked out only the best kernels. And you might have polished each kernel to where it looked perfect. And that's a bag of corn. Made that you each kernel look thinner. Yeah, you made each kernel look thinner. You made their boobs perky and retouched all their zits. But it's still a bag of corn and they still have to go mill it 
and make it into the tortillas and make it into the tortilla chips so that they can then eat it, enjoy it. I mean, we're like really stretching the metaphor here, but in, <laughs> in my mind, in our world, you know, in our businesses, that finished product is hanging on the wall in the end, or it's in an album. And then the plan is like, what are we doing the next time? So it, there's so many things that have that go into the value of that, right? Uh, that haven't been done when you're just shooting and burning. So I think that's part of the mindset, right? Is coming in and thinking, because really the elephant in the room here is that the people that came into the industry with digital were primarily a lot of women. Mm-hmm. So what do you think about, do you feel like that women uniquely have a uh, struggle with valuing themselves or their time or? You know, I think that it's not necessarily being a byproduct of being a woman that created that platform for people to maybe not value themselves as well. I think it's because of why they became a photographer. A lot of them were moms who wanted something on the side and, you know, were taking care of maybe their children or another part-time job or whatever it is that created this love of photography. And instead of approaching it as a business, it was approached as something fun to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm not saying everybody, of course, but I think there were enough of this situation that maybe they didn't have to put a certain dollar amount on the table. And so it gave them the luxury that most people don't have of creating a business based around what they felt looked and felt fun. Mm-hmm. Instead of maybe the economics and really sitting down and doing the math because that's boring and that's not yeah. fun. <laughs> and, and creatives for the most part don't love math. Right. And so I think that it's more of a, even if we dive down further, I think it's it's because there were so many moms who had a cute baby and then they got their digital camera and then their friends started asking for their cute pictures and that sort yeah. of thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's a beauty, I think, in the fact that this industry can be so approachable by so many. But if you really want to make it a business and really want to make it a viable part of your financial situation within your family, I think that you have to approach it. Even if you started that way, that's okay. But you have to be able to turn that switch and make some of the harder choices and do some of the harder work and learn a little bit more about the things that are a little bit more boring so that you can make more money, so you can go have more fun, and so you can have more financial freedom. Right. If you want to, all the good things, right? If right. You if you want, to. if you want to, because not everybody does want to. But I think anybody that's listening to this podcast wants to. I, I really, I, I believe agree. that. I would probably agree. With I you. think they do want to, but I think sometimes it's just helpful to know how we got someplace because you know, you and I started off similarly. We had been in other industries. I had had another business um, when I came into the industry it was like, I'm going to do this for six months and just make a little money until I figure out what I'm doing next. And so therefore I was like, oh, I'm not going to set up a whole other business. You know, I'm not going to start selling prints and all that because that would just be way too hard. Way too much effort. Yeah. And like, I, what if, you know, where's that going to be sent? Yeah. I just, I didn't want to deal with it. So I'm like, I'm just going to sell digital files and it's fine and no big deal. And everybody seems so excited about that. Until I realized, then I was like, well, hold on. If I'm going to do this for six months, it still does need to pay a few bills. Right. Let's just run some numbers. And it was like sitting at uh, Stuart Anderson's Black Angus with Ivan literally on the back of a napkin and, and saying, okay, so how much money could I make if I charge like $300 for a set of files? How much <laughs> would I have to shoot to replace my income? And I'm like, yeah, this is not really a good <laughs> 
idea. So all good ideas start on the back of a napkin, yep. but they really come to life in an Excel spreadsheet. If you yes. Ask me. <laughs> oh my gosh. You are the queen of that. I have said, I've said that so many times. I'm like, there's a business conversation to be had before you know it. Kim's going to have her laptop out with an Excel spreadsheet open. Absolutely. Up. You think an Excel spreadsheet, which I love that. Well, they tell a story. Numbers yes. tell stories. And that's the thing that people don't realize. Like if you really want to get into business is that numbers tell your story. You don't have to tell me anything. Just hand me your income statement and I can tell you your story right there. Either you're right. spending too much in your cost of goods or you're doing good or you're not advertising enough or you're spending too much in advertising. Like yeah, you can really labor. Yeah. figure a lot of things out just by looking at someone's financial statements. Which, But you know, when you're like me, no. you're in fourth grade, you're Mrs. Pace. When I was struggling to memorize my times tables, <laughs> she told me, well, you know, you're really good at English. So why don't you just focus on that? Oh, it basically was like, you're not good at math. That's how my fourth grade, my eight-year-old, that's how I interpreted that. So in my mind, I've always been bad at math. So anytime somebody comes at me with a spreadsheet, this is going back years. I'm like, oh, I don't want to look at that. But I realized in my first business that I don't love like pure math, like formulas and that sort of thing. I do really love managerial accounting. Yeah. Like love, love, love. Well, I love that story. It's the, you push this button and does this happen? Like, let's say we're trying to increase our bookings. So the button we're going to push is doing, let's just make it easy, some ad somewhere. Okay. So then you want to compare and contrast and see if that button actually did what it was supposed to. And that's managerial accounting for most people who may or may not know what that is. It's taking numbers and using them to make sets of decisions and steer the boat. So when it comes to this business, what were the stories or what were, what were the main metrics that you were looking at? Because I think that's a huge part of any industry or any business is knowing what are your main metrics. Like with my scrapbooking store, we were always looking at, you know, what is our average sale? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then what was our break even, you know, our daily break even because we were open six days a week. We had a lot of employees, you know, like young girls running cash registers, that sort of thing. So we had to figure out what is our daily break even so we could immediately look at that number and see like if it started to slip below what the break even was, then we knew something was wrong. We needed to like step it up and get, you know, shake and bake and get some more people in the door, that sort of thing. <laughs> right. So my metrics, I mean, I was hardcore on session count, partly because I was trying to manage my life, mm-hmm. um, my life. And for every session we took, it equaled eight hours in my mind of someone's time, maybe not always my hours, but somebody's hours. And so I was very protective of our session count because as we started to become a little bit more higher end and selective saying yes had to be the right yes for us. Whereas Mm -hmm. in the beginning of my business, I mean, I was just like ready to say yes to anybody. (laughs) Yeah. Anybody that called and said they wanted you. Yes. I was available. I mean, I don't care if you want to spend money or not. I just wanted to shoot. Right. And then, you know, once I got that part over, then it did become about money, but it was still an all encompassing yes. And this is where the feelings of money come into play. It's like, Going from that volume-based mindset to a little bit more of the luxury, high-end, boutique-based mindset, there is a shift that has to take place. If you don't already have the right money mindset, that shift has to take place. Otherwise, 
you will not be able to thrive in the luxury world because your mindset is still in the commodity based right place. and it's a very uncomfortable thing to be charging something if you don't believe in your number that you're saying you're right working. and so what do you think reconcile that i mean i know i have my thoughts but what are those things sound like those mental blocks you know, I mean, they're the obvious ones. Like, who do you think you are to be charging this much? My work is not worth this much. I feel bad. There's a lot of things. Like, that, oh that my gosh, in. I would never pay X for an eight by 10. Start yeah. with that. Like whatever you're charging for an eight by 10, is it, are you comfortable paying that? And yeah. for me, in the end, I priced myself on my own pocketbook in the beginning. Right. At the end, I made that mind shift and realized that I offered something unique. I was not a commodity. I made sure that my art reflected that. And then Jessica did all kinds of things for those who don't know. Jessica's my business partner and she did all our sales and she would do take that mindset into the sales room and make sure she wasn't selling from her own pocketbook because it's so easy to do that. And so if you're pricing yourself where it's comfortable for you, Unless you're your market, that's the wrong decision. And you have to really be able to look at like, who are you wanting to attract? I knew I wanted to attract two or three levels above my own financial situation. And so I couldn't be comfortable with our prices in my own pocketbook. I felt it was worth it for my customer to spend two or three times more than what I was maybe able to spend because my own dollars did not give value to my artwork. My artwork gave value to my artwork, if that makes any sense at all. Okay. Well, I know what you're saying. I think before we get to airy fairy, which you and I are want to do, is the idea of, there's that idea of selling out of your own wallet. Part of it is not even like what our income is or anything like that. Part of it is that you think I would never pay that well, part of the reason you would never pay that for an eight by 10 is because you can actually create that work. You have the skill set that can create it. It's like a surgeon saying, I would never pay $40,000 for an appendectomy. Well, you can, I mean, you probably wouldn't, but if your kid needed one, you could probably do it on the kitchen table, you know, if you had your, if you had the right. right thing, you know, I mean, you wouldn't, and he's going to get the discount and all of that, you know, so everybody in their own industry has their own perks, benefits, the ability to get it at a lesser price with that minus the markup that supports the business and that sort of thing. So that's not really a place to come from when it comes to pricing your work or even how you think about it. Also, you know, when I know I told the story to you and before, but when Ivan came into the business in 2013 and I was running him through the price list, the first thing he was like, "Hun, that's an 11 by 14 piece of paper and you are charging, you know, whatever it was at the time, you know, and I'm like, okay, okay. First of all, you're never allowed to talk to a client. Second of all, talk to me, (laughs) talk to me in January after we go through the business. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, and this is, this is the man who helped me figure out like how long each client was taking and our number came up exactly what yours is. Every session that we take takes at least eight hours. It might not be all of my time, but it's time that I'm paying for, you know? Yeah. So even if we only do one eight by 10 or one 11 by 14, which we don't, but let's just say that we did, that's still eight to 10 hours. Or like my sister, when she's designing a house with somebody, she has to be so careful who she says yes to, because she's going to spend two to three years with these people. Like what if they're crazy? Yeah. You know, 
and you're going to go through all the things that are happening. Three in years that one client we all have had. Right. Thank you. Yeah. So exactly. <laughs> so when you're looking at it, this is a client that's going to be, you're going to be going back and forth on proofs with, you're going to be spending time photographing them and their kids and, and then figuring out what's going to go on their wall. So you do actually have to be careful. It's not a oh, we're only for like bougie people. It's right. really like, no, we're only for people that we don't want to kill ourselves over after we've dealt with you. Yeah. <laughs> we would like to avoid all people that make us want to slit our wrists. That's what we right. would like. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so, I know it's definitely a time thing for sure when you're pricing. Yeah. And so, and we know, and we've had a series on the podcast as well about basically the nuts and bolts of pricing. There are that, that physics of the business of you have to look at your costs and you have to be profitable and all of that. So I think what we're talking about today is kind of as a definitely more next level. Like we're assuming that you know what your costs are and you know what your markup is. This is like how to get out. Once you've figured that out and you look at that number of what it really how has to, to be. Print. <laughs> yeah. Or how do you... Yeah. How do you, how are you actually going to say those words and those numbers to your client and not want to vomit? Or maybe you might still be worried about it. Exactly. Because so like for myself, we'll just do a real world scenario here for your listeners is that for myself, I started pricing myself based on the competition around me. Being a finance major, I still made the same mistake probably everybody else did. So it's not like I educated myself out of that mistake because in the end, you can know what's right, but your confidence and your value of yourself can get in the way of actually doing what's right. And so I automatically looked around me. Well, I'll probably look to people who didn't price themselves based on their numbers. So therefore I had unprofitable pricing out of the gate. And as some of the luster of becoming a photographer wore off and I'm sort of actually using my business brain again. I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> you know, like I know better than this. Okay. Yeah. Time to reframe the brain. Yeah. And there was a mind shift that had to take place. Like what we we're talking about before is that bridge, if you will, between the volume-based business and then the luxury business, there is a bridge of a mindset shift and a confidence shift and a value shift in the way you look at yourself, your clients and your artwork. One thing I have to mention is that I have a husband who does not work in the business. So for me, these decisions are different than you mm-hmm. who does have a husband. So we are a two income household. So I was able to make congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we, we went from two to one. I mean, yeah, but well, I'm I mean, too, because that yeah. means you're doing great, but yes. it does change things because your eggs are all in the same basket. Yep. For me, mine weren't. My husband has a very wonderful career on his own. And in fact, it's kind of cool the way our song and dance happened in our family, but his job is what gave me the ability to quit finance and let me start this business. And then about a year into that, Jessica joined me. And so I felt like I had support on all levels um, making decisions. And if you're by yourself and you don't have a business partner or maybe your income is the only income, then it is harder to make risky decisions and to up your prices because the fear is greater. Your fear box is bigger. Right. Uh, Because I had a safety landing pad. Maybe you don't. And so therefore these decisions are way more scary. But if you can take this advice is that let's say you're going to go get some cosmetic procedure. Let's say you're going to go get 
a facelift. I have no idea what the price of a facelift is, but let's pretend that the going rate is $10,000. I'm sure it's probably higher than that, but let's just pretend it's $10,000. And you go and you do your research and you read all these great reviews on this doctor. And then his price is $3,000. Run. You run. 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 Absolutely. Right. Because you're like, dude, that's, he's got his PA cutting your face open. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, there is a set of expectations of value that you have as a consumer, but when you're in the driver's seat of setting those prices on something that is not a commodity, it's a disposable income. It's a luxury. It's not a requirement to live, to have good pictures of your family, but when you're in the driver's seat to set that price, it's so easy to forget that. There are customers you lose because they look at your prices, they see your work, they love your work, then they look at your prices and they're like, oh, that's too cheap. And yeah. they walk away. Yes. I'm going to stop you there because I don't think many photographers realize that. That's what I'm saying. That's what we're yeah. talking about. Right. I know. <laughs> I, 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 think, I think that they're so used to the people have like, wow, I had no idea it was that expensive or whatever. But the people that think you're too cheap, you never hear from them. Right. Those are the people that you don't hear from. They look at it and they're like, yeah, something's wrong with this. There's not something right. So just like your analogy. So let's go back to the the facelift for $3,000. Okay. So what if you look at that and you find out in your mind, 10,000 is your barometer, right? And it's 30,000 or 25. So then what do you do? Well, then you're like, oh, I have to have this guy. He must be amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Or or you're curious. He must work with J-Lo or something like the fountain of youth. Like what elixir does this guy have? You know, and that's the key of the bridge. The bridge to go from volume to luxury and shift of mindset is this. It's to me, it is recognizing that number one, you cannot sell from your own pocketbook unless you are already your market. And if you are already your market, you're probably not listening to this podcast right now. You're, <laughs> you're already your market. You're yeah, not going to do a job this hard. Shopping. <laughs> yes, yeah. If it's not, that's what, that. that's what I always said to Ivan. If, if you don't make enough that it's a full-time job for me to spend the money that you make, then I'm always going to be doing something. So just FYI. <laughs> And even then, I know you, you would still be doing something. Even then, we'd still be doing something. Yeah. So what I think I would be, when, or what happens when I see something like that, if I have in my mind, my barometer is $5,000 and I look at something and it's double or triple what I thought, if it's not a value to me, really, like if I don't care that much about it, I'm going to be like, yeah, whatever. That's ridiculous. But if I do really care about it, if it's something that I'm really, that I've been researching, so we're going to stay with the facelift for a minute. And I've been thinking about, okay, I really do want to do this. And everybody that I've been looking at is about 10 to 15. This guy's three. No way am I doing that. No way am I doing LASIK surgery for somebody with a coupon. Nobody's cutting my eyeballs with a coupon. Forget it. But this guy's charging 25 or $30,000. So I'm curious. I'm curious about that. Like, well, what, what is a $25,000 facelift? Mm-hmm. What does and that look like? It more special. So I'm going to go through their website. I'm going to look through every single thing. Like, how does it work? How do they do Like, do they have magical scalpels? Like, do they, do they have elves <laughs> that come and live with you up. and kiss your face every night before you go to bed to make sure it heals correctly? Like what is happening over there? You know? And I think that's how it's I find out. Hemsworth there to take care of me. 
Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Rub my feet. But you know, I think that's what our, our best clients do, right? They might look at our website and go, whoa, this is way more than I thought. I need to know more about what's going on over there. And then they call you and they start quoting you to you. Well, now I noticed that we do a consultation. So when we do the consultation, like they've read through and they get all the info because they start to become invested before they've spent a dime, which goes back to our earlier conversation about money not being real is that it's trust and value. Right. Exactly. And to me, I mean, the $3,000 facelift is a really good analogy to photography because it's touching in the same avenue of somebody's mind, which is it's about their image. It's about Mm -hmm. their face. It's about what they look like, how they're going to be seen and portrayed to others and that sort of thing. And so if you think about a Christmas card, it's going to the world, right? And it's advertising what your family looks like and that sort of thing. And so people are going to take that time and make that investment. It would be the equivalent of if you're building a house, you're not going to worry about the wood. Right. You know, wood is wood, right? It's commodity, but what brand of faucets and what kind of countertops and all the pretty things, you're going to spend the extra time and the extra money if you can get the best of the best. And so when you're on the other side of the bridge in the volume part of your brain, here's what you got to think about is like, okay, you're caught and confused because you're like, well, I don't know how to make all these changes. And I don't know how to do this. I'm going to lose so many customers and this. Right. And it's a very, very scary place. And it reminds me of our conversation before in our other podcast about jumping off the ledge. And like I said, for me, that's easier because I have this softer landing, but it doesn't make the economics of the decision any less. You might just have to be even a little bit more brave or do some planning and lead up to a change so that you create a cushion for yourself. Right. And let me, I want to explore that a little bit more because you and I've had this conversation a lot. And just because you have a softer landing doesn't mean that that isn't still your career and you don't want success in that and that you want to make it all that it can be. So that to say that, well, that's what a lot of men in this industry, as though a lot of those women were coming in, were saying, well, you know, they've all got attorneys as husbands, so they don't have to make the money. So they're ruining the industry. These women are coming in and devaluing and all that sort of thing. Like I heard a lot of those conversations, but also on the flip side of that, on my end, when I am making a decision, when I change pricing, when I change any kind of policy, I have to know, I have to be so convinced in my soul before I do that, because if it interrupts my business or make something go south. It's not only, it's my whole life and it's also the life of all of my employees, you know? So it's like, we've got three families that are basically riding on this business. And so that's a lot of weight. However, it also makes it easier to, when you look at like, say a, an individual product and you see it is costing us to make this product. Like we are not making any money on this product that has to go. Right. That has to go. Right. You know, and so I think that's true for no matter who you are, if you want to be in business, and that's kind of also part of the bridge, is if you've decided that I've built my portfolio, my romance with the camera is still intact, but it's been tempered now with the need yeah. to actually make this pay some bills. Right. You know, we're I, at I'm the honeymoon be- stage. Yeah. Yes. We're out right. of the honeymoon and now we got to pay some bills, which is actually marriage. Right. That's what I tell my kids too. I'm like, after the honeymoon, you're just paying bills. That's all you're doing. It would be nice if you loved each other. 
but you, you're just paying bills after that. Fighting with your kids and paying bills. That's all you're doing. So make sure you really like that person. So going back to this mind shift or this mindset that we need is that idea that once the honeymoon's over, that this is going to be a business. And by definition, a business needs to be profitable. And then rather than going from that more volume commodity that we're going more to the luxury high end, well, I know that as soon as I just know that there will be people that are listening to this that are going to think, I don't want to be luxury high end and just turn off. Uh, Is it turn off? And just turn off. Like, just think like, I don't want to be luxury. I don't want to be high end. I don't want to be bougie. I don't want to be, I don't want to be in facelift world. I don't want to be seen as exclusive or excluding other people or like, I don't want that. And so do you have to be high end to be profitable or like, what are your thoughts about that? No, absolutely not. I mean, look at Walmart, it's profitable and it's not high end, right? Right. So yes, there are absolutely ways to do that, but you have to get very lean. And you got to have like a hundred photographers working. Yeah. I mean, here is the way to be a profitable shoot and burn photographer. You get six images, one of your family, one of your couple, one of each kid, And it's super low volume in terms of how much you're shooting because it's all time equation on making money if you're a shoot and burn photographer. But you have to be able to maybe give them those six images in a beautiful way. You would have to put a package around those six images. And I'm not saying six, but you get the super low. That's what's happening. Right. There's probably a way to make shoot and burn a very profitable business, but it's all in. So if you take your average dollar sale times how many sales you have, that how many sales you have to think Walmart has to be a gazillion. Right. Because you're making less per client. You've got to have a gazillion clients to make that up. If you're trying to make, let's say, $100,000 this year or something like that, you've got to do the math. And so I think that's where a lot of photographers don't really recognize how much time they're spending for that $300 and including, you know, getting the client, educating the client, telling them where to go, all the little things, the little things that most people don't count. They might count their editing hours, but not all the things to get the client even in the right location, even the time to say hello and goodbye to a client. Like, I mean, it all matters because that's time away from your life. Those are minutes you can never get back. So to me, yes, you could become a successful shoot and burn, but it's so much harder. And you're doing a lot of the not fun things way many more times. And so for me, that was part of my motivator is I like doing the fun parts of the business and being able to max those out. And so to me, that's the creative parts and not the administrative parts. And so I wanted to have less shoots and more per shoot. And so every year our goal was to up our average sale more than how many shoots maybe we decreased by because in our story we started as volume and we're trying to work backwards into not so voluminous right so that bridge of really recognizing the day i truly understood the $3000 face left was the day i no longer had that crippling pit in my stomach and fear of charging the right price because i realized i was actually pricing myself out of the clients I want by being too cheap. That was like mind blowing to me. I was like, oh my gosh, like what made you realize that? Like, did you have an experience that I think just like paying attention to my own buying behavior 
and recognizing that there's value perceived by the price of something before mm-hmm. you interact with the product. So, you know, it's like you walk into a Prada store and it's very sparse, very clean, very few selections. It's so narrowed in its brand and what its offerings are and the experience. And then you walk into Walmart, like, and then you look at the price tags of a t-shirt and you're like, what the heck? And realize that there are certain things to expensive products. And I wanted to cultivate that feeling into my business. And Jessica cultivated it into the sales room, you know, and that sort of thing. And so that mindset shift of realizing, okay, wait, to really get the high-end client, the ones who are willing and wanting to spend the money, we have to have the prices to attract them. And that's not low. It's actually high. And so that was one. And then to the people who are shooting burners, I think it's a very big uphill battle. Not that it can't be done, but I think it's very few and far in between that you're going to become a luxury shoot and burner because it the price just isn't, it's a business model that's not going to support exactly what you need. So we're going to just move that conversation to the left and talk about why you need to have more than just the image, why we need to take the corn and turn it into the corn chip or the tamale or whatever. Yeah. Tamale. Um, Let's go tamale. Because to me, yeah, a very, very luxury tamale. Tamale. Green corn. (laughs) Green corn. Green corn with hatch green chilies and cheese. That would be the best. Yes, with a glaze drizzled on top. Yes. (laughs) All the things. And that's what you have to do is you have to take that image because you, I've seen some of the most talented photographers who are shoot and burners. They've got gorgeous light gorgeous posing, gorgeous Mm -hmm. everything. They've got everything it takes, but then they just stop and they don't finish the race. Right. And to me, I could not feel comfortable to charge the prices we did without it truly being an all-inclusive experience for our clients. And to me, that means handholding and making their life easier every step of the way, because what you have to understand, here's the other, another piece of that bridge is that the wealthy their value is not in dollars. Their value is in minutes. Time. Yep. Yep. Because they can't buy in time. They're at a place where they're making decisions based on how easy this (laughs) transaction can be for me. And does it make me feel special? Because, you know, everybody wants to feel special, but when you've got the money to make those choices, then you really want that service to be there. And so the things to wrap your business around is how to make their life easier. Things like telling them, when you get here, text me. Don't make them call you. Nobody likes to pick up the phone anymore. Text me. We will come out and get the kids and all the clothes for you. Right. It's the little things. Those are the things that they are paying for and yep. that they will come back for. Not because you do pretty pictures. Right. They want that extra levels of service. Like, you know what? We went to Nordstrom's and found, we found personal stylists that we loved and worked with them. You know, client X, we've got a stylist up at Nordstrom's and Neiman's, depending which store is your favorite. Let us know. They know our style. We're going to let them know that we're doing an outdoor session and that your favorite color in your house that you want to build off right now is green. Yeah. And they'll pull things for you that can either bring it to your house, they can send it to you, you know, and then we would do the returns. We would take nice. care of the returns. So it's all these extra little things that sound like a lot, but when you're charging high end prices, 
it's okay because you're doing, you know, four clients returns at the same time or whatever. Right. It works out. And it's just taking those things. Like we're not just telling you what to wear. We're helping you figure that out. We're not just telling you, you know, come to the studio and then watch mom coming in with a car seat and a toddler and the backpack and the yep. all the things like, no, let us know if it's raining, we would walk them in and out of the studio. Just those little extra things are parts of that bridge that help you go from one to the next. The other thing is you have to have products, period. Like yep. you cannot just sell the raw goods. In my opinion, you've got to have a curated set of products that speak to your brand and to luxury. So it's not a mouse pad and it's not a picture <laughs> of the family on the cup and it's not right. the cutesy things. Like, I mean, I so many times would go to a trade show and be like, oh my gosh, I love this. I, there's not a way I'm ever selling this in our company, Yeah, but I love this product. Well, yeah. because it doesn't fit that feeling. It wouldn't hold. It's not special enough. It's weight on my product shelf. It's just right. not going to stay. Right. So, you know, Jessica and I might order them for our own family. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, we're not selling that as a product. We would gift it though. Here's the best thing. All those cutesy little things, we would turn those into gifts. So when they came to pick up their order, we would take those cute little accordion albums mm -hmm. and we would make them for, let's say they spent ten or $12,000 or something, mm -hmm. those cute little accordion albums, and we would wrap it as a gift. Mm -hmm. Make sure they know it's special. It's extra, you know, yeah. and they'd be like, oh, can we buy more? And we're like, oh, I'm sorry. These are not purchased. You can't buy these. Yeah. I want to get more. Well, we'll give you more, but we would never put a dollar amount on that because you could never price it high enough. No, it would have to be like right. a million dollars but to do one of those so stupid accordion albums. In their purse. And then they yeah. would show people those things. Right. And so just, it was an advertising tool, but also a gift. And it was a way to incorporate some of those cute things into the business that maybe I could never price high enough to actually put on our price list. Okay. I love that. I feel like what I see a lot is as people start to think higher end, they immediately start doing things like what you're saying. Let's give gifts. Let's do more service. How can we make it better? How can we you know, do all the extra things? But they do all of that before they raise the price. Oh. And yeah, no. Well, now no, you're and, eating yourself out of Yeah, and then it, they just know? crater themselves. But I, I right. see that a lot, especially with my students. I, I see that the tendency, oh, well, what else are you doing? Oh, well, what else? You know, you're printing that for them and you have this cute thing to go with their order and that, do, and you do this service and you do that. And I'm like, hey, did you finish your pricing? <laughs> you know, like yeah. finish the pricing first because we don't want to do math and we don't want to figure out that price. But what I find is that once you see let's just say that you figure out the price of one product. You know, you look at and you see, oh my gosh, that's got to be this much to make it profitable for my business. That's when you can get ultimately creative about how you're building in that value to the client for that particular product. And it doesn't necessarily mean making the product more expensive. I think that's a very important distinction. So, you know, because the tendency is like, okay, here's this, just for example, this frame date by 10. Let's say that in order for it to be priced correctly, it needs to be like $600. And that just seems like astronomical. So what the nice photographers that I know tend to do is like, okay, well, then I need to make it in a aroma frame and it needs to be with museum glass. And then it needs to be, and so you're just running the price more and more. I'm like, okay, well now it needs to be $1,200. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, but it's, so it's like, no, no, no. 
don't make the product itself more expensive, like the hard good, how can you add the value? And a lot of times that is just highlighting what you are already doing, right? So that is like what you're saying. You're going, you're text us when you get here. We'll come out. If it's raining, we'll have an umbrella. We'll help you. And then you're gifting them things that you don't even tell them about. So it's a surprise later. These are things that we already do, but we don't take into account that that's worth something. Right. Exactly. You know, it's like, we're the good girlfriend that that's like gives all the services and is so nice to the guy. And then we just keep devaluing ourselves and never, never just sit, stand there and go, Hey, I'm a great girlfriend. You know, why are you right. cheating on me? <laughs> well, <laughs> I think the $600 eight by 10 that then they're trying to up the value is the problem is exactly that. Like you don't value your eight by 10 for the right reasons, or you don't think that that's worth right. what the math is telling you it's worth. And so pricing of products in a luxury category is hard because there is definitely the intangible. And that's where a lot of people, I think, just miss that connection and prevents them from crossing over to the the bridge to the other side is that the intangibles in a luxury business are in fact, a lot of times what the client is paying for. Exactly. And that's the part that a lot of people miss is they are paying for the if you've cultivated your brand into a luxury business, they will pay for the logo. Mm-hmm. They want the logo on the Christmas card. They want people to know that they went to X photographer. Yep. And for you, those of you who are like, oh, well, I don't have that right now. Or, oh gosh, that's definitely not me. I'm never going to get there. Well, I didn't have it either. So right. Same. put your pity pants on the side and let's get to work. Like, how yep. do we cross that bridge? Well, number one is you got to figure out where you want to land. And so for me, I knew I wanted less sessions, but I knew I wanted to make more money. Well, that sounds almost impossible. Well, we made it happen. It took time and it took hard work and making hard decisions and trusting the process a little bit and faith and all the things, but it is possible. And so it's very easy, I think, to say, oh, I don't want to do that, that sounds horrible, like scary. And so you just kind of keep swimming in the same swimming pool, right? you know, right? and treading water and you add more things and you're like, get frustrated. Well, let's take this thing you love to do and let's make it a business. Let's make it profitable. Let's make it good for you. And I'm not saying you have to be the Neiman Marcus in your marketplace, yeah. but you can't always be the Walmart and make a living unless not, you- Not have- as a solopreneur. I was just going to say, unless you have multiple photographers that you're paying low rates to who are shooting and you know, you've got process people, you can make shoot and burn an incredible business if you're willing to invest to get the volume that the only success in shoot and burn is volume because right. you can't price it high enough. It's still a commodity, right? You got to right. make it something special, something that's not repeatable not replaceable in the same way. You know, it's like, I always said to myself, like when I had kids, why does this restaurant not offer to bring my to-go stuff out the front door for me? I've already paid for it. Like it's such an easy thing. And I've got a sleeping toddler in the back and a newborn here, like just freaking bring me my food. I've already paid for, I will will pay five extra dollars Yes, to just bring me my food because I don't want to have to wake up the sleeping baby and get the things out of the car and kill my forearms trying to carry these people in to just pick up my to-go food. The pandemic 
I was like, mm-hmm. people are going to clue into this. Mm-hmm. Just the other day, I was at a restaurant. I'm like, oh, could you bring it out to the car? And they're like, no, I'm sorry. We don't do that anymore. The pandemic's over. And I'm like, oh, you just missed the boat. Like, yeah. I mean, curbside service. I would come to this restaurant over the one down the street all day long if I don't have to get out of the car. Yeah. And, and so, pay more. Oh, I would pay more. Yeah. I would tip yeah. more. Because yeah. again, it's about my time. Not right. the food. And so make that connection in your business. Figure out the things you can do to make someone want to come to you instead of the place down the street. And it's again, it's not the pasta that made the difference. It was the service. Right. Right. So that's the difference. The pasta is the commodity. The service is what made me want to go somewhere and spend more. I had my pocketbook open, ready, willing, right. take my money. Yeah. Just don't make me get out of the dang car. Right. <laughs> and that would and that would have taken so little for that to happen. And so I think there's areas in our business where we miss that. For us, we're always thinking like, how do we up level next year? Because we have clients that come year after year after year. And sometimes as businesses, you take those clients for granted. Right. And sometimes they take you for granted. So how can we every year manage the perceptions and make it special every single year? And so a couple of years ago, what we did is uh, we just had these VIP parking signs made because we're in a downtown area that is really hard to find parking. It's such a pain in the butt. So the whole idea of like, come up and park and we'll help you out. Like, well, if you're two blocks over, we don't even know where you are. You know, it's not great. Mm-hmm. And so we had these signs that we could roll out and then we had like a little clear pocket on the front of it that we could just slip in, you know, the Wiley family. And so it says Allison Tyler Jones VIP parking. And so like a half an hour before we would look and see if there was an empty spot out in front of our studio and we'd put it out there illegally, by the way, totally illegally, like yeah. we got in trouble for it, but we still do it, it especially, if they've got, especially <laughs> if somebody's broken, like has, you know, is hurt or has like a baby or whatever, but that people were late to their sessions because they were out there like taking pictures to post in front of their VIP parking site. <laughs> That's so cool. You know, which is, well, and let's say you don't have that. Yeah. Right. Well, you could say, pull up, we'll uh, unload all the kids and then we'll have one of our staff park your car, your right. car for you. Right. Like there's solutions. And I think what you're doing, and this is what I would encourage you to do as you walk over the bridge is walk through your experience as a client working with you. And what are the pain points? parking, depending on where you live or your studio is, if you're in a retail space, picking out outfits, deciding mm-hmm. what all the pain points, what size product should I get? What size, what finish should I have? All these things, the more you can provide them the answer, then the more that loyalty is stronger and that bond is stronger and they don't want to go anywhere else. They will cry if you can't do their shoot because they have this feeling of trust and value so tied into what you do because of what you service them with. Yeah. And again, it's not about the pasta or the tamale or the whatever. It's about all the things that make their life easier and for them to feel more special. I think that's like the secret sauce right there. It has absolutely nothing to do with, I mean, you have to, this is saying like you have to have a curated set of products. You can't be offering them everything that the right. trade showed. Yeah, there's so many layers to this yeah. for sure. But the real one is this. This is the one that a lot of people who have the beautiful studio in their house or the beautiful retail location and the curated products and the packaging, they've got all the things done 
and they're like, why am I not being successful? This is what's missing for a lot of those people is that you're still just a commodity and better packaging. It's just a product. Well, and I always come back to the idea of taking responsibility that I just figure if I'm going to be in trouble for something that goes wrong, then I'm going to control it and I'm going to be responsible for it. So I want to be responsible for every part of their experience, for every single thing. And then even things that I don't know that I should be responsible for when my clients ask me for that, I'm responsible for it. And so that's how we've developed our service over the years as we've listened to what our clients exactly what you're saying is what those pain points are, the things that are hard for them. And we we don't wait for them to ask anymore. We just say, okay, so we're going to do the consultation so we can talk about the clothing. And then we're going to let them know how we work, what it is that we are in fact doing. And then there's a whole design element to it. Of We're basically, we have a point of view, we have a product line, and we're going to share that information with them so that this is how our work is best displayed. This is how our work is best printed. This is how it's best framed and how our work and our unique talent interface with your specific home. And we haven't, like, you don't have to worry about deciding that. So when they come in and they're like, but I, I don't know, I don't know. The reason why they want digital files or they want like a lot of little stuff is because they don't want to make the decision. They don't have a design degree or they don't have an idea of how your work, because they're not photographers, they don't know what the sizes are and all of that. So that's why they order a bunch of little stuff because it requires them not to decide. And that's why they want digital files because they don't ever have to decide. And so you can keep churning that out all the time and you're going to shoot a ton. And like, but like you said, you're still going to be stuck doing the things that you don't really want to do. Whereas the more special, you know, like that more luxury experience, and you can take the word luxury out of it if you don't like the way that that makes you feel. But the more special experience is a more handholding and a more relationship. And I think really photographers that are the most successful have amazing relationships with their clients. That right. the incorrect perception is some guy in a suit that's like, oh, we're so shishi and you should be so cool in order to be here. It's kind of like pretty woman, right? Like we don't have your size here. You know, like it's the Rodeo (laughs) drive perception of luxury, but that's not what it is. The luxury photographers that I know that have thriving, successful businesses, they're on the ground with those kids. They're smooching their face. They know that mom, they know like she doesn't like her hips. So we better turn her sideways. She's got one eye that's smaller than the other position her that way. That 14-year-old's complicated. Make sure you get him on board within the first five minutes. You know, it's it's that kind of stuff that is the intangible that's not making your framing more sexy. You know, it's not adding cost, hard cost to the materials itself. It's before you ever put a frame on it, before you actually ever print it on anything, the value is baked into that image that you already created. It's that you took the time to know them, you captured their relationship, their actual personalities. And baked into that image is also their relationship with you and the feeling and experience that they had with it. And that has so much value. And then you're walking in and taking responsibility for absolutely every other thing. That's the true luxury is that they don't have to figure out a dang thing. My clients now, when it comes to picking out what it is that they're going to put on the wall, I literally had this happen yesterday, a client booked two sessions this year. And so Stacy was trying to book her view in order. And she's like, oh, I don't need the view in order. And she's like, no, no, no. Allison wants you to see the images. And she's like, no, just, she can just tell me and just bring it and hang it on the wall. I don't need to see them until she shows up with it. 
<laughs> which I mean, that's a dream, right? But because I, I'm still going to make her come in and see him because that's the fun part for me. But she's not going to pick. She won't because she's like, I don't have time to pick. I'm running a business. I'm yeah. running two kids. Well, maybe you tell me what I need. Come in then. Yeah, no, I, right. I'm, you know, I mean, who knows if she doesn't want to come in, why force her? Cause then that's taking a pain point. You could take away from her. That's true. Like not do that part. Yeah. And that's unusual. I mean, that's very, very definitely an unusual, (laughs) but you know, as well as I do that most of our clients, when they're sitting there, when they're sitting with Jessica or they're sitting with me, if we dare say, well, what do you think about this? They're like, no, 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 no. I I don't think you tell me (laughs) like, what do you think? Well, and that's when you know you've crossed the bridge. Right. Right. Like, hands down, there's no way on earth a high end client's ever going to be like, yeah, you pick. Just tell me where to sign. Yeah. You know, without having really done the all trust. Right. To make them just hand over the key. Yeah. The trust and, and the value. Like a nod to you and your business. That's amazing. And, you know, you, every now and then you get that person. And that person, uh, what I hear when I hear that is that mom right there has a very busy life, so busy that she's going to hand that key to you. And so time is worth everything to that woman. Right. And like, she wants it. She knows she wants it. And if she were, you know, in a different life, maybe she'd want to come and do all the feel goods with you, but really she just wants it. Right. (laughs) Right. And that's, that's you sitting in the car with two kids in the back seat and just want somebody to bring it out to you. Bring me my food. Yeah. And I I think that COVID really accelerated all of that. You know, there's so many things that we can do now that we didn't think we could do the way that we do them. And so, but you're always teetering right on the edge of like, you don't want to make it so easy that they don't feel valued and loved. So we still have got to build bake in that layer, but then also the convenience and all of that. So, but I think that, you know, going back to where we started just to bring it back around is money is just that mutual agreement of value. And I always say, you know, I, what I'm trying to do in my business is I just want to make it so clear what it is that I do that my clients will exchange their value for my value, but that there's a mutual recognition that you know, they, they have value in that they're bringing money that will support my business. And I'm bringing the value, which is beautiful imagery of their family that we're going to hang on their wall and also curate over a lifetime for them. And that's worth something that has value. And I know that. And the more that I step into that, not as thinking that I'm all that, but just recognizing I, I had an experience actually not long after you and I, when we spent that time together in 2016, when I came to your studio and we were, we spent a couple of days, it was so fun. We need to do it again. But <laughs> I was really thinking, you know, I'm going to quit doing holiday cards because it's just so much work and you can't really charge enough for it. And you were like, um, I think you need to rethink that yeah. position, you know? And so if I you know, knew you better, I would have just been like, uh, no, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a bad choice. Bad choice. Stupid <laughs> now I would do that right then. We're still playing nice. We're that, still back then we didn't know each other as well as we do now. Yeah. Anyway. So we, we stayed the course and just had to raise the prices on them so that it was feasible. And then also we had like, we realized that they needed to be like a minimum and all of that sort of thing. But not long after that, it was November. We were so busy and we had this one client who was really hard and she was making like the 12th revision on her holiday card. And I was like, I, I don't know how to shut this down. Like it's driving me crazy. And it's, it wasn't because the image was, wasn't beautiful. It was because she doubts herself, you know? And so I'm sitting outside in front of my studio and I thought, why are you so worried about enforcing your rules on this? 
And at the bare bottom of it was, I just am afraid somebody's going to go somewhere else. Like somebody won't like me or they're going to go choose another photographer. And so then I thought, wait a minute. So your voice came into my mind, even though you never said this to me, my Kim (laughs) Wiley, my inner Kim Wiley sprung up and said, okay, let me get this straight. So she's going to go to another photographer that's going to tell her what to wear. That's going to sit down and tell her where everything's going to go in her house. She's going to have a VIP sign out front with her name on it. She's going to take that kid of hers who's complicated and hard and totally shrink him to where he's laughing his head off and the imagery is amazing and the mom looks great and the dad is having, who hates, hates pictures is having a good time. And you're going to create all this custom imagery. Then they're going to go do a custom card that's going to be hilarious and amazing and make them look great to all of their friends. She can't. It doesn't exist. There's nowhere else she can go to get exactly what it is that I do in the way that I do it. Right. And so that was like, that kind of gave me confidence going to go in and say, okay, no, actually this is the rule and you've now broken it. So now let's get on the same page, you know? Right. right. And it's just so hard with those kind of clients because they're the outliers, right? Yes. right? But those are the ones that occupy a lot of time. But one thing that- they also refine your processes. That is so important to me is that in the, you know, if we talk about mistakes- that you've made early in your business. One of the mistakes I made is I would have, let's say you had that experience before you knew who you were. Yes. And could have that little, you know, moment inside your head outside before you wouldn't have had that because you didn't feel all that. You didn't feel valuable and all those sort of things. Um, right. Don't make rules based on the exception. That's where yes. I got trouble. I would have this terrible client. So then I would make everything so heavy feeling because was, I was trying to mitigate against having that person ever come back to the studio again. Yeah. Instead, make your rules towards the, the bulk of your business and then deal with yeah. those people's kind of on the, on the wanna. Side. Yeah. And that's like a episode that I did with Catherine Langsford called policies from pain. And yeah. I like the idea of instead of having policies have processes, processes are way better than policies because policies tend to stem from the worst of your clients. And then you end up with like the 10 page contract that requires, you know, initial, I hate that. Yeah. But I I think that's true. So, but I think that that moment in that parking lot was just realizing kind of taking stock and looking back at how far I've come in instituting all of these layers of value. And I know the photographers that we work with in our course and that you and I have met and are friends with for years is that it's just easy as a creative to discount what comes easy to you in your own mind, because it's easy. I I shouldn't be charging for it. I mean, this is my gift to the world or whatever, you know, we, we devalue it because it it becomes easy for us, but just because it becomes easy for you, that's your particular genius. That is your gift to the world. And that's why it should be valued appropriately. Right. I think that is probably one of the biggest human, like not even creative human deficiencies is that we all have things that are gifts. And so those are easy to us. And like you said, those are the things you think it, because it's easy to me to maybe dissect things into the way I think about them. I assume everybody can do that. Right. So I don't think like what I have is special when, cause you just don't even realize it. And that's another thing that's hard is you assume other people can do that. And then you just don't even put it in the equation. 
Right. And and then you assume like your client knows about sizes or you assume that they know about things and they don't. And then nobody wants to admit they don't know something. So then they feel stupid. Right. So you've like cratered the experience on many levels. Whereas when you have a process versus a policy, that's like, this is how it works and this is how we do it. And this is how we bring everything through. I'm sure you already know this, but here's how we educate. Then it allows you to bring them through in a process in a way. And that's luxury too. It's like, this is how it works. Right. You know, when you come to Louis Vuitton, it's just how this works. You walk in, a hush falls over the crowd and a light is lighting your purse right in front of you. And the angels begin <laughs> to sing, but only if you open your wallet, right? Exactly. But I, um, I think like to me, money is this. Number one, don't price from your own pocketbook unless you're your own market. So look to the market that you're, let's say two or three, get uncomfortable. If yeah. Pretty much. Unless you're just very lucky, you need to be uncomfortable with your prices or you're too low. That would be a barometer. If you're comfortable with your prices, it's probably time to look at them or maybe you just have a ton of confidence. But most people are probably needs to be uncomfortable with your pricing. Base your pricing off of actual math. And that's the boring part. So go listen to that other podcast you were talking (laughs) about. But that is key. And part of that math is taking into account those eight hours that we keep bringing up, that's when I finally realized, okay, wait, I'm not pricing out of greed. Oh, this is something we got to talk about real fast. Greed. I don't like to feel greedy. Right. So we have high prices. We had high, high, high prices. And I felt so like yucky, like I was being a bad human for wanting all that. And so until I really sat down and did the eight hour thing, I was like, oh, actually they probably need to be a little higher. Right. Because not because I'm being greedy, but because I'm actually wanting to run a profitable business. Right. So Jessica and I had that moment one day. I'll never forget it. So greed is part of it. You don't want to be greedy. Well, make sure you're charging what you're worth as well. So there's- Right. Okay, so I'm, I challenge you on that because I think I hear a lot of that, like charge what you're worth, charge what you're worth. But if you don't think you're worth anything, you know, like, so no, don't charge yeah, what don't. you're worth because the worth of a human being is infinite, right? That you can't put a price on it. So if we know that your product and your service and what you're offering, right, right. But and, first, I, but, and I think the barometer of being uncomfortable is, I think that's accurate because yeah. even when I, I mean, I have a spreadsheet, I am looking at that price. I am seeing that it has to go up. That framing has gone up 30% last year. It's gone up another 30% in 2022. Oh, and God. so, right. I know it's bad right now. And so I'm just like, holy cow, these prices have to change. And so it is really scary. But again, what happens is we reach a level of mastery in our craft. It becomes easy for us. Our processes become easier to where it just kind of is running like a fine oiled machine. And so we feel like it's quote unquote easy. But when you pull apart all the things that you provide for these families and these people that you're creating portraits for, it's really pretty amazing. And it really is worth what you're charging. Right. Well, let's take back to your real quick analogy of having surgery. Like, let's say, you know, you need an appendectomy. Well, appendectomies take two minutes. Like they're the, I'm, I'm right. they are one of the fastest surgeries on the planet. Well, that doesn't make that where you would only pay $20 for it right. because you're not paying for the actual act of him removing your appendix that day. You're paying for the years of medical school and the years of 
and train. You're, you're paying for you're right. paying for the training that that you're not going to die when he takes right. your appendix out. So you got to remember that in your own yeah. business is that just because and this is easy to do. It's just because you have it down to a well-oiled machine doesn't mean that now it should be less because like sometimes you know you think oh I, this is so easy for me I shouldn't be charging this much. Well, no, you got to charge because it's easy because of the ten thousand hours you spent making it easy. Right, and it's. Yeah. Like, you're not charging for how easy or hard it is for you because by that metric, you should charge way, way more when you are way less experienced, right? Right. What you're charging is the end result, the value to the client. That's what you're charging for the problem that you're solving and the value to the client. And it's that trust and that value. And so all the things that we do as we're developing our product lines, as we're developing our expertise is building that relationship and that trust and value that make it worth something. I'm just going to throw in a book recommendation here because you know me. But one of the books that I really love, there's a questionnaire in this book called Secrets of Six-Figure Women by Barbara Stanny. We'll link to it in the show notes. That's Secrets of Six-Figure Women by Barbara Stanny. And she has a questionnaire in there that I thought was really good that kind of gets into your mindset about money, about how you think about it, and you know, kind of how you were raised, the things that you were talking about earlier. And I think that is really, really helpful. But I love that you... I love your brain. No. I love that you think in spreadsheets. Um, <laughs> I think you're you're one of my friends that it really has an equal left brain and right brain that work really well together, which is so always beautiful to see and always so helpful to me. Oh, that's very kind. And same to you. And you always make me laugh. <laughs> well, I'm nothing if not comic relief. I wish right? I had your memory of all the random sayings you have. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like every pun or funny thing, like I don't even, I can't see, I don't have a memory. I came in, but Within one conversation of, with you, you will throw out these like little one-liners at least three or four times. Uh, maybe because I can't remember longer things, but I just, I think that we are both thinkers. It's always been really hard for me to make a change in my business without having it be, I always say like baked into my bones. Yeah. Like I have to be yeah. very convinced. Not, mm-hmm. it can't just be because, oh, because Kim told me I need to do this. I mean, you know that because, right, there's a lot of things you told me to do that I was like, didn't do till five years later, but I have to have a rationale behind it. And I, I feel like the purpose of this podcast is to help portrait photographers develop their own rationale. Because once you have your own rationale, it's not hard now. It's not hard for me to do a consultation. It's not hard for me to quote prices because I know the rationale behind it. I've looked at the spreadsheets. I know how much we put into it. And I know that we're not for everybody. And that if people can't do it right now, that's completely fine. Yep. It's, well, it's and okay. That's that whole know your why, you know, mm-hmm. that's so overused, but so true. True. Even things like, for instance, this is such a weird analogy, but you know, you have surgery and then you go to physical therapy and they tell you, you need to do these four exercises, however many times a day and so on and so forth. I feel like those people, like I would, I just need to go tell everybody how to do their job better because I feel like those people need to, I'm just kidding. You need to bring the food out of the restaurant and then people like that need to tell you why you need to do those exercises and what will happen if you don't. Yes. You know, because otherwise people don't do it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And that reminds me of, okay, so, you know, you know, my kids, my two kids have autism. And so we did so much early intervention with them. So much early intervention, Uh, speech therapy, occupational therapy, all the things. And I remember talking to this one speech therapist who I had so much respect for because she was so amazing. And, you know, when you're the mom of special needs kids, all you're thinking about when they're young is like, 
what's the prognosis? Like, how is this going to play out? Like, are they ever going to be normal? You know, that's really what's in your head all the time. And so I would ask everybody that I would say to her, you know, so I said to her, like, what do you think the chances are? Like, based on your experience, do you think these kids are ever going to normal out basically? And, uh, she gave me the best advice and it totally applies to what we're talking about here. She said, what we're doing with these kids right now is extrinsic. So it's external. We are doing these drills. We're doing all of these, this therapy that's extrinsic outside in. And at some point, a kid has to find the intrinsic value of communicating. Like I say words and things happen, or I say words and I get a smile, or I say words and I get milk, or they have to realize that internally that socialization brings them joy or communicating brings them joy. They, they see the value, whereas most humans just learn that automatically, right? So with autism, it doesn't come automatically. And so she said, to the degree that they will internalize and find intrinsic value in communication and socialization is basically how, what their long-term prognosis will be. And I thought that is exactly this. We can extrinsic photographers all day long. You can listen to 75,000 podcasts. You can take a million online courses, but until intrinsically you see that this is worth it. What I'm doing is value. And I find value in providing value to my clients and bringing them the highest and best use of this work rather than giving them disposable imagery. It's going to be on the walls of their home that they walk past every day that that their children's memories are going to be, these images will be baked into their children's memories as they grow up. They will remember that little funny haircut or that cute little toe or how their pinky was resting on dad's arm for reassurance, that those stories will be told throughout their family, that that, that is the intrinsic value. And so I think that's the trust, that's the value. And until we internalize that, we will never be able to charge. We will never be able to price. We will never be able to communicate that value to our clients in an effective long-term way uh, without that. No, I agree. And it's like a light switch, or at least for me, it was literally like the lights were off and then all the lights were on. And once the lights were on, it was like scary and hard, but it was happening no matter what, because once I could see... yeah. Can't unsee it. So going backwards, like oh, I'm not going to go backwards. I'd rather go do something else if this doesn't work. Exactly right. Right, and if it works, great. If not, I might need to find another job, and that's okay because I don't want to do something wrong and not exactly. And I think that's how you can tell the photographers that have internalized it, they have that intrinsic value baked into their brain because they're not the ones that the first time they get pushback from somebody that they aren't like, okay, I've got to lower the prices back down. It's like, no, that's not like, it's the Mary Inglebright, right? Don't look back. And then the the little sign, the little girls at the crossroads. And then one sign says, don't look back. And the other sign says, no longer an option. You know, those are your two. (laughs) So it's like, don't look back because that's no longer an option, you know, or Edna mode, right? Never look back, darling. It takes away from the now, right? What? That's what, there you go. That's what I was talking about. We're movie quotes. We're doing movie quotes. Anyway, well, I love you and I appreciate your time so much. And thank you for lending us your brain again, because it's so valuable to me. Oh, pal. I love, absolutely love talking business with you and all the things in life. And just, you have such a wonderful way of breaking things down and such a clear I don't know. It's like bringing the best of all the things, the things that you don't realize that are easy to you are the things that I value so much in our friendship. So thank you. (laughs) Thank you. I love you. Thanks for being here. Bye. Bye Bye. everybody.
Do you know someone who would really benefit from this episode of The Rework? Maybe a fellow photographer who's in the trenches with you and always looking to level up their biz. Or perhaps you have a friend who is struggling to make their business work. I would be so grateful if you would share this episode with them. All you have to do is head to the platform where you are listening, click the share icon, and text it or email it to the person that you think could need it most. Thank you so much for doing that. And while you're there, if you have a chance and can give us a review, it would mean the world. We are a micro tiny podcast and we're trying to get the word out to as many portrait photographers as possible to help them build better businesses and better lives for their family. And if you would help us do that, it would mean the world. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next time on The Rework. You can find more great resources from Allison at dotherework.com and on Instagram at do.the.rework.